They did an intervention looking at um, traditional therapy and as well as some leading medications as well as exercise for depression, anxiety, and just general distress. And this study showed that <laughs> that exercise was one and a half times more effective than any of these other interventions. Yoga helps us to get connected with what's happening internally in our body so that we can identify and become aware of those symptoms, those signals earlier on. Extending the exhale activates something called the vagus nerve. Say somebody is beginning to experience anxiety symptoms or panic symptoms. It's almost like a short circuit way to get the body to calm down. Graduate school was really difficult and I was experiencing a lot of mental health challenges. So I took this antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication prescribed by a well-meaning um, doctor, psychiatrist, and then it had like every side effect in the book. Welcome to the Superhuman Blueprint Podcast. Welcome, my friends, to the Superhuman Blueprint Podcast, your resource for all things self-optimization. As always, I am your host, Drew Grissel of Primal Wellness Coaching. Please hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, hit that share button. If you like what we do, leave us a review, leave us a rating. If you don't like what we do, well, send me an email, info at primalwellnesscoaching.com. Let's talk about what you want to see and see if we can't uh, make some accommodations. Uh, reminder also that show notes for today's episode can be found at thesuperhumanblueprintpodcast.com. All right, let's get to it. Today's guest is a longtime friend of mine, Dr. Eileen Fullchange. Dr. Eileen is a licensed psychologist, a national speaker, and the founder of Fullchange Therapy. She specializes in healing from complex intergenerational and systemic trauma using holistic strengths-based and body-based approaches. She works with preteens, teens, and adults from any background you could think of and specializes in individual family and couples therapy. Dr. Eileen also works with businesses, organizations, and schools to integrate equitable healing practices into their systems. Dr. Eileen, welcome to the Superhuman Blueprint Podcast. Good to be that here, Drew. Be, thank you. That may be the first time I've ever called you Dr. Eileen. Yeah, I'm cracking up a little bit here. <laughs> I know, but got to give respect where it's due. You, yeah, you worked for a true. long time to earn, earn that. that. You did. That's true. I, I sure did. Yeah. Uh, so... As I mentioned, I, Dr. Eileen is a longtime friend of mine, and when we first became friends, you were not a doctor, you were a teacher. Um, That's true. Can, how, did you, how did you go from being a teacher to being the, uh, the psychologist with this very kind of nuanced focus um, that you are today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, well, um, I actually wanted to be a psychologist when I was very young and being a child of Asian parents um, who fit the stereotype, I could either be a lawyer or a doctor. So being a psychologist was literally funny to my parents. Um, so I was actually on the I, track. I've never heard anyone say that before. <laughs> okay. My parents actually laughed about it. Or my father did at least. Um, okay. 
And so, yeah, I was on a, a pre-med track at first, which was very science-based. And then once I was an adult and could decide my own destiny, I was like, I don't actually want to do this pre-med thing. I had no uh, idea that you did that. Yeah. Learn something new every day. There you go. Um, and then, so I had this science background, didn't know really what to do with it, but I knew that I loved being with kids and working with kids. So I became a public school teacher and I actually loved the job. I just hated the administrative side. Um, and I was working in a large urban public school district where there was a lot of trauma that was coming in trauma from both the students and the students' families, also arguably trauma being perpetuated by the school system, and then trauma in the adults coming in as well. Um, the adults, you so mean I, the teachers? The teachers, the administrators, okay. the staff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so there was just this very bad, perfect storm, if you will, of a lot of stress in the environment. And I started kind of on my own time, and I really don't know how I had time because I was teaching and I was also earning my um, master's degree in education at the same time. Um, but I somehow found the time to look at some research around healing and healing from trauma and resilience. And um, so I started integrating some of these practices that you probably actually do with some of your folks who you work with, um, integrating some practices into the classroom like mindfulness-based activities, uh, gratitude practices, and other sort of uh, lay layperson version psychological practices into the wow, classroom. So you, you brought that into just your your regular public school classroom. Mm -hmm. I did. Cool. Okay. And um, it, I'm, I'm it surprised worked. you got away with yeah. that. Well, this is where the story starts changing. Okay. <laughs> Because I, I didn't get away with it for very long. Um, ah. I, You're making too much of a was, positive impact. You need to stop. I, I know. Um, and I did. The, the results were really astounding. I had kids who were, um, they measure growth over like year over year growth in schools. And, and in my classroom, I had kids who were doing two years of academic growth within their one year of time with me. Wow. So the the results were really good, but, um, my admin, the principal, the leadership at the time was like, Eileen, this is not teaching. And after that I was like, but I know this is working. I see right. it. You have measurable and, growth, yeah. but somehow it's not teaching. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I do not want anybody to question me in that way again. Cause I know that this is working and there's evidence. And the, I think the main reason that I was being questioned was because I was a young teacher and I didn't have a bunch of letters behind my name. So I went and got a lot of, num a lot of letters behind my name. Yeah. Um, and now I don't get questioned about it. It's sad that I had to go get a bunch of letters behind my name. Um, but at the same time, I also really wanted to study psychology. I find people to be really fascinating and um, I love working with people and I love supporting people in their healing journeys. It's one of the most humbling, rewarding, um, enriching experiences that I could mm -hmm. ever imagine. Yeah. And, you know, so you're working directly with mental health and kind of on my side of things, I, I have to work through 
not necessarily the mental health aspect of a person's wellness, but I have to work through their mental state because one of the biggest things preventing people from achieving wellness or achieving fitness or achieving specific goals related to their health or body composition or whatever, a lot of those obstacles are just mental. And so mm-hmm. right, I'm, I, I have excellent training and knowledge on how to help somebody sculpt their body. But if they're mentally not ready to do those things, then we're never going to get there. And, and so being able to, um, at minimum, have awareness of that, right? And then figure out how to navigate those waters because every person is different and every person has their own place that they're coming mm-hmm. from is, that's been a journey for me. And something that when I first got into the idea of being a fitness coach, I really didn't even consider. Like, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. teach someone how to dial in their exercise and nutrition and they're going to see results. Well, no, because they're a lot of the times getting in their own way and you have to mm-hmm. now work, work through that. You have to work through that before you even get to the next thing. Yeah. And I think the same can be said on the other side for the folks who are in the mental health field. Like I was not trained in integrating body-based approaches at all. And yet there's a ton of research out there showing the connection between the mind and the body. Mm -hmm. So like take for instance, this mental health diagnosis of depression. Depression is very common. Um, It's actually one of the leading causes. I think it might actually be currently the leading cause of, of uh, folks taking time away from work. Hmm. Um, But anyway, so when I was first being trained in my graduate programs and in my internship and residency, there was very little focus on the fact that things like nutrition and diet, exercise, the physical environmental factors very much affect mental health. And so it's only now that I'm, that I've been fully licensed for a number of years that I'm diving deep into this. So I think it's, you know, our Western society tends to very much separate these two, like mind yep. is separate from body, but that's just, that's not reality. Well, and, and digging in even further. So first of all, I completely agree that in the, in the sphere of mental health, the, the standard education that you get is, is very specific to, you know, maybe industry norms here in the Western world. Um, and I would say the same for the regular, the, the, the standard medical system, you know, for the body, not just the mind, right? And a lot of my clients are in healthcare. I've had doctors, I've had surgeons, I've had nurses, I've had people that simply work in the, uh, the medical field. Um, and I'm educating them on things related to health and wellness that I feel like they should know. But they don't. And I'll ask them. Uh, in most of my sessions with clients, we start out with the conversation. Every time we meet, we chat a little bit first before we get into if we're a workout or it's a, um, a recovery session or whatever. But a lot of the time, I'll approach something and be like, "Yeah, you probably already know this, you know, concerning your nutrition or concerning certain types of of things that you need to do physically." And I very often gotten the response that, you know, we, we touched on that in medical school, but it was, you know, one paragraph in a book that was 900 pages. 
So it's like, yeah, we it, it came up, but we didn't really do anything with it. We didn't get into it. We didn't do anything with it. We moved on. So I imagine that a lot of what you do, Drew, is more or could be about instilling practices that are lifestyles, not just like, you know, a diet that you do for a little bit, but it's about a lifestyle change. That's what it evolved to. Prevention. Yeah. Originally, yeah. My, my plan was just to coach people on fitness and nutrition. Um, but then it, it quickly evolved, I suppose we can say, into lifestyle because if people get certain things right, then everything else kind of falls into place. And that's lifestyle. You know, it's, you know, yeah. are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? Are you taking advantage of, you know, the, the natural healing that's available out there in the world? Um, all these things that, that, that you're looking at as well. And so, yeah, it, uh, my approach started out very simplistic and, and evolved, uh, I guess, similar to you, right? I mean, you, you were interested in mental health, but then you, you realized along your educational journey that there wasn't a focus on on some of these kind of fundamental aspects of what it what it what resources are available to us to to preserve our mental health right right yeah and i think for a lot of folks in the wellness industry or um maybe more in the medical in the medical world um both doctors psychologists and other folks in the medical world we are really focused on intervening when something goes wrong, which yes, there's obviously a place for that and that's necessary, but the best, the best intervention, if you will, is prevention. So if we can get the lifestyle changes, then that's even better. Like my, my goal, if I were to do my job, if our, if not just me personally, but if our um, field of mental health and psychology were to do our job really well, we would actually be able to work ourselves out of a job. That's the idea. Yeah, that's that's the idea, but I think that's also the 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 block in a lot of our uh, these these industries that are supposed to be kind of bringing people to a point of not needing them. Right? Well, there's you you can't work yourself out of an industry if you're in it for profit. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we <laughs> we could have a whole conversation about that. I know. We don't even have a whole conversation about that, but that is a thing. And and actually, um, similar to what you just said, I actually. Um, I recently recorded a podcast with a doctor of chiropractic um, and just kind of talking about uh, patient care and all that. And, and he was very much in support of all of the, the great resources that we have in the medical system, emergency response and, and ER and, and all of that. But he was, he was very specific in saying healthcare and sick care in, in what they are right now. Healthcare and sick care are not the same thing. And our healthcare industry has become a sick care industry. Thumbs up, or, I don't know, plus one, whatever you do on social media these days <laughs> to that. <laughs> so how did you, how did you um, kind of segue from what you learned in school into kind of the more holistic approach to, to what you can do to, to help people on their, their mental wellness journey? This episode is brought to you by the Hack Your Sleep program. Are you tired of feeling drained, struggling to stay focused throughout the day? Is low energy impacting your work and your relationships? So many of our clients at Primal Wellness Coaching used to be there too until we introduced them to the simple steps in the Hack Your Sleep program. And guess what? As a Superhuman Blueprint podcast listener, we are going to give you access to this program absolutely free. This program isn't just about getting more sleep. It's about getting better sleep. 
Imagine falling asleep quickly and having nights filled with deep, restorative sleep. Say goodbye to those restless nights and wake up refreshed every day. These proven techniques will help you relax, clear your mind, and drift off into that peaceful embrace of sleep faster and keep you there longer. Even if you don't have time to add hours to your sleep schedule, you don't have to sleep more just to sleep better. But don't take my word for it. Join the Hack Your Sleep program and become part of the community of well-rested, energized individuals. Go to hackyoursleep.net and use code SUPERHUMAN to get this sleep improvement program completely free. That's hackyoursleep.net, code SUPERHUMAN to start sleeping better tonight. I think it actually started with my own mental health journey. Um, So in graduate school, so let me back up a little bit more. Graduate school is really stressful for most people. The rates of mental health disorders are like three times higher for graduate students than in the general population. Wow. So um, I was totally normal in the sense of graduate school was really difficult and I was experiencing a lot of mental health challenges and had actually done some Western psychotropic medica- medication, um, okay. which actually I was on a small dose, the smallest, smallest dose of an antidepressant slash anti-anxiety medication. Mm-hmm. And um, it turns out that those medications aren't normed on East Asian populations and that specifically East Asian populations tend to have, tend to require extremely small doses. And those, the standard, what's considered the small dose in the standard Western setting, it's like an overdose for my system. So I took this, this, you know, tiny half a pill or quarter pill or whatever it was of of this antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication prescribed by a well-meaning um, doctor, psychiatrist, and then had like every side effect in the book, except the life-threatening side effect. Okay. Like one of the side effects I think was, um, like excessive confidence. And that's actually a really scary thing to have. So like, this is funny and not funny. It's only funny because I'm not in it anymore. Excessive confidence. That's (laughs) that's new to me. I've never heard that one before. Yeah. So I was, I remember being in class is on the second story. The the classroom was on the second story and there was like a roof um, outside of the classroom. And I remember thinking, I actually genuinely feel like if I went on the roof and I jumped off the roof, I could fly. Like there was a felt sense of that. Yeah. So it's, it's it literally sounds crazy. Right. And it's not a good side effect to have. I should not go around thinking. No, (laughs) it's actually really dangerous. But thankfully I was, you know, in the mental health field and trained and I knew, okay, this is a serious side effect and I should get off of this uh, medication. So anyway, that was one of many side effects that I experienced. Um, So I knew that Western psychotropics were not going to do it for me. And simultaneously I had started a yoga practice. Um, Just, I was biking to this yoga studio that was run by someone who actually grew up in India and was trained in yoga in India. Um, and because I was in graduate school and, uh, graduate school schedule is kind of weird and chaotic. I was in a classroom where I was oftentimes the one person who was in the classroom with oh, her. So okay. I essentially got one-on-one class inst- or one-on-one instruction with her. Awesome. And it was, it was life-changing. Um, 
at the time during Rascal, I also gone through a really difficult death in the family, in addition to just being in graduate school. Um, so it was, it was a really intense time period for me. Um, and after that, I, I really began to wonder about where is the, where's there a place for quote unquote alternative treatments? And they're not really alternative. They're actually like very ancient, very well-known treatment modalities, um, just new to Western, Western research. So yeah, I started to look into that, um, Shortly after graduate school, I got interested in somatic therapies. So body-based therapies where um, somatic therapies are body-based therapies. So in session um, where it's not just traditional talk therapy, I'm actually inviting folks to stay attuned to their body and the signals and signs that their body is giving oh, them. Okay. I, um, I've, I've only ever taken one formal yoga class and there was a lot of that in that yoga class it was you know feel the energy yeah. in your toes type of stuff yeah and there's a lot of i mean this is also like a whole other podcast you could do around yoga yoga culture and some appropriation of it anyway i will try not to make you run away in this podcast by <laughs> okay. going off on tangents um but Somatic, so I'm trained specifically in something called somatic experiencing. And the simplest version of that is we're just developing or we're inviting, I'm inviting clients to reconnect with their innate intuition about their body. Hmm. Like we all, we all, we all have uh, nervous, we all have nerve cells that go from our internal organs into our central nervous system. Just like we have nerve cells that tell us about the environment. So if I'm touching something, my nerve cells from my fingers are telling me, oh, you're touching this window or you're touching this desk or whatever. But then I also have nerve cells inside my body that are telling me what's going on inside my body. And because of sort of the way that our society is structured and a lot of external factors, a lot of us and trauma, a lot of us get disconnected from the connection that our bodies uh, have with our brain. Yeah. So somatic experiencing is a way of helping us to reconnect with what our body is telling us and also the intrinsic healing properties or the in intrinsic desire to heal that the body has. Yeah. I was, I was just listening to a podcast with Wim Hof. Are you familiar with Wim Hof? Mm -mm. No, I live Gosh, under man. a parenting rock. <laughs> he's been around for a little while. He's a uh, he's the founder. He, he created the Wim Hof method, which is a method of breath work. Um, mm -hmm. But he's he's a guy that's broken tons of world records. Like he climbed Everest in like mountain climbing spike shoes and shorts and nothing else with no training. Mm -hmm. And he's swam like. I don't know, long distance under three meters of ice and spent like, I don't know, a day in an ice bath or something, things like that. But he uses breath work and he was talking, I was listening to a podcast with him and he was talking about how he, you can use breath work basically to internalize yourself and, and connect with very specific parts of your body and actually facilitate healing. And he's saying the reason that he can stay in the cold is because he can essentially go into himself and tell specific parts of his body to be warm and mm -hmm. they become warmer. And that's how he hasn't gotten frostbite and things like that. Anyway, it's 
it's out there, but there's actually a lot of a lot of scientists have tried to disprove him and ended up proving him. So um, mm-hmm. I don't really know any more about it than that. I've been hearing Wim Hof for a long time. But that was the first podcast I've listened to him. Uh, listened to with mm-hmm. him. I haven't done any research of my own, but it's really interesting because you know you're talking about okay, mental healing through kind of going inside yourself and, and connecting with specific parts of your body. So it just made me think mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Well, that reminds me of the role of mindfulness, which one form of mindfulness or one way to practice mindfulness is through breath work. Mm -hmm. And there's like so much research around the benefits of mindfulness for mind and body. Um, There, there's a, there was a documentary some time ago around meditation and mindfulness. And um, they were looking at these Tibetan monks who were who practice mindfulness for, I don't know how many hours a day, but they also were able to be in the cold for hours and hours and not have any frostbite. And yeah, it's, it's really, the body is amazing. If we're just given the right circumstances to allow the body's natural healing to come out, it will heal itself for most things. You know, I'm not a medical doctor or a physician, but you know, there is a lot of healing power there that I think western society doesn't really acknowledge or is at least only starting to catch up on agree and i mean as 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 deep as i've gotten into the whole health and wellness thing even i'm just barely starting to comprehend that and there's a lot a lot of learning to be done to just to move beyond the fundamental comprehension that this is possible yes but you're trained so i don't can you can you give me an example so somatic experience that's what it's called right Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you're if you're working somatic experience um, with the client as far as um, they come to you for something and you want to use this technique to to help them um, heal, like how does that go? Like how 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 do you direct mm-hmm. them in this? Yeah. Um, so I'm actually gonna direct you to. You'll have to edit this because I'm gonna. Okay. There's two things I'm thinking of. One is I actually created a series of meditations that are based on principles of somatic experiencing on oh. Insight Timer. So folks okay. can find that and there'll be more and more as I work on that. Um, but generally it's asking people when they, let's say, let's say someone brings up a traumatic event that has to do with a car accident. Oftentimes in traditional talk therapy, the therapist will say, tell me about what happened. And what happens internally with the body is that the body is actually reliving the experience. And sometimes it can actually be re-traumatizing. Okay. So instead, somatic work might say, we might say, you know, you can think of this traumatic incident. You don't have to tell me anything because we're not trying to replay the scene. We're not trying to go down the same path and and actually increase the trauma reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, But just bring it up and notice what happens in your body. And the body will naturally do its fight flight response or a freeze response or some response. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can slow down and notice what is the body needing. So oftentimes trauma happens because the body wants to do a fight flight response, but can't yeah. for some reason. Okay. And so it's about noticing the fight flight response and allowing it to actually take its natural course. And that would be what, like increased heart rate, um, respiration, like 
It could be any of those things. It could be, or it could just be muscles tightening. Oftentimes it's um, fight flight responses, leg muscles tightening because of the the powering up to run. Sprint the heck out of there. Okay. Exactly. It could feel like tightening in the abdomen and the core. Um, Yeah. It could feel like heat or coolness in different parts of the body as blood goes or gets directed to the parts of the body that are supposed to be more active. Um, That kind of thing. Okay. So I mean, yeah. So it's about inviting folks to notice where, where is the body trying to tell you that it needs? And then allowing that need to be fulfilled in a healthy kind of way. And, and what does that mean? So if someone's like their, their leg muscles tense, like they need to sprint, how do you, how do you work them through that? Mm-hmm. So it could be actually allowing them to tense up the muscles a bit more or to even, um, sometimes I'll do work with clients where we're standing. I'm okay. actually standing right now. So it's a good way to demo. Um, so it could be allowing clients to actually feel their muscles tense as if they're going to run and allow a little bit of movement and then release. So it's sort of a way of telling the body, okay, yes, you can fight and flight. You can get that energy out. You're not trapped. Okay. I see. Yeah. So just acknowledging that, make, that it's there yeah. and allowing it to kind of run its course in a controlled way. Yeah. So that's one, one route. Another route also is, um, so like with anxiety, a lot of, I work with folks who have anxiety and anxiety shows up in the body in a very similar way, like sweaty hands, tense, uh, tension in the jaw, tension in the neck, in the shoulders. And it's easy to notice those parts of the body that are activated and in distress, but pretty much I, I don't think there's been any case that I've had a hundred percent of the time, at least so far, there is some part of the body that is relaxed and that is resourced. It could be the tip of someone's nose. Okay. But there's some part of the body that's resourced. And what so does that I'm, mean resourced? That feels calm, that feels grounded, that feels okay. okay. Sorry for the psycho jargon. That's all right. Called out on I'm that. just going to keep interrupting you and asking questions, yes, but I don't do. know what you're talking about. Please do. Um, yeah. So when folks are coming to see me, they say, Oh my gosh, I'm feeling all of this distress. What can I do? I need you to help me in some way. I need you to give me something, a tool. Um, my job often is actually to let folks know you actually already have the tools in you. And it might be just a feeling of calm in your toes. But we have, we have that resource internally, and that can be really profound for people to recognize that, especially if they've been living for a really long time, feeling like they can't manage these symptoms. Hmm. That, that must be, do people approach this with skepticism? Cause I, I feel like a lot totally. of people come to, um, when they think of, of therapy, right? Like, uh, like psychology, psychiatry, they think of laying on a couch and reciting all their problems and, you know, being having questions asked back them they have to answer and and kind Mm -hmm. of just leaving the session like that or maybe walking away with a prescription well uh thank you freud for creating that stereotype (laughs) that's definitely not how i work (laughs) and i don't know anybody who works in that way in terms of laying on the couch and talking i'm sure people do still see Um, because it's on tv it's gosh darn tv um (laughs) Yeah, um, I, I think most, mm, 
it's understandable for people to approach this with skepticism again, mm-hmm. because like I was not trained in this approach. And I think me 10 years ago, when I was in graduate school and, and, you know, finishing up or in the middle of my training, I would have been like, okay, that's really woo woo. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So how did you, how did you evolve from the skeptic into the, uh, the practitioner or the teacher? I think it did start with the Western psychotropics not working. And then, yeah, it was like, this doesn't work for me. I need to find a different way. Okay. And And, for a lot of folks. Yeah. Go ahead. And actually we, I think we kind of segued from yoga. So how did, how did yoga help you? So yoga is mindfulness in movement. That's what it is. Okay. So, um, See, I'm a fitness guy. I just think of it as fitness, you know, you, strengthening your, uh, your, your stabilizers and proprioception. Yeah. Okay. So let me, let me talk about proprioception. So proprio, there's proprioception and there's interoception. Okay, so interoception is, is the, the, uh, the nerves that I'm talking about that go from your internal organs into your central nervous system okay. that give input to your central nervous system. Okay. So a lot of times when we end up going into crisis, mental health crises, it's because of something that's happened that, that maybe we didn't pay attention to early on hmm. to be able to okay. intervene. So take, for example, um, okay, panic attack, let's say. So oftentimes yep. the actual panic attack, which is like oftentimes people will do um, hyperventilating, uh, rapid heart rate, uh, sweating, um, it's essentially the fight flight response without an ex- a specific external stimulus that requires a fight flight response. So imagine a bear attacking, but there's no actual bear. That's the sort of response that's happening. Um, so a lot of folks who experience that, yeah, it is intense. Um, and for people, it can feel very scary to experience. So a panic attack actually starts well before the panic attack. And okay. oftentimes it starts from... I'm making this up. It could start from, you know, I had a really rough night of sleep last night. And, um, today, uh, I have a big assignment that's due. It's stressing me out. Mm, Okay. And then later down the road, I'm in class and I know that I'm late for the assignment. And now I'm starting to have a panic attack consciously without really honing into my connection with my body, my interoception. I might think the panic attack started when I entered the classroom. Okay. But if I were to really practice getting in tune with my, and develop my interoception, I might notice, well, actually, when I woke up this morning, I had a bad night of sleep, and I could tell that my stomach was clenched already. Hmm. Or something like that. Or maybe the night before, you know, I watched a scary movie, and I noticed my stomach was clenched. And that's what gave me a bad night's sleep. There's something that happens. There's a, there's a symptom that happens before the symptom. Okay. And so yoga helps us to get connected with what's happening internally in our body hmm. so that we can identify and become aware of those symptoms, those signals earlier on. That's one thing. Okay. The other is, um, the other is also yoga involves breath work. And we know that breath work, especially elongating the exhale, can um, increase the body's rest and digest response, which is the relaxation response. Right. That's what we want. When we're relaxed, then the parts of our brain that are 
more able to make sound decisions come online, um, all that. And then also, yeah, it can be a form of exercise. And we know exercise releases endorphins and all these feel good chemicals. So in the moment, you get a dose of feel good. And then longer term, you also get these more longer term um, doses of feeling, maybe not so much feeling good, but feeling grounded, feeling mm -hmm. resourced, right. feeling calm. So that's it in a very and, small nutshell. And there's a whole lot more research on yoga and mindfulness. Sure. And just if someone's looking for yoga to that end, I mean, what do they need to look for? Because there's a lot of yoga out there and you can, mm -hmm. as, as I understand it, it goes in a lot of different directions and not all of it is going mm -hmm. to, I don't, at least as far as I would assume, based on what I've heard about the different types of yoga and the different classes and whatnot, you're not going to get the most out of what you're describing from a lot of these. Sure. Yeah. I do a specific form of yoga, which is trauma, trauma informed or trauma sensitive yoga. Okay. Which I th think I have some YouTube videos somewhere. Out you in do. The YouTube world. Yeah. Yeah. You yes. do. You do. Um, in English so and Spanish. That, that's right. <laughs> so folks can look for anything that's, a, that's trauma sensitive yoga. That's, going to increase the or strengthen people's ab abilities to interocept that ability to okay. know what's happening internally um and then if you look for any really any yoga that focuses on mindfulness okay um body awareness and also you can modify any yoga practice to be that right so if you are watching a yoga video that's more about the fitness component you yourself mm -hmm. can invite yourself to notice Okay, what's happening inside my body during these poses? Sure. Or can I connect I think, my breath to these poses? I think it's on the on the front end, people probably need someone to coach them through that. And then oh, for sure. once they figure out how to yeah. do it, then they can just do it, right? For sure. Yeah. Guidance yeah, is I've, good. Conceptually, I love yoga. I just have it's so slow for me. <laughs> so I Mm-hmm. I, yeah. uh, I, I, and, I keep telling myself I'm going to give it another chance, but I think I need the right kind. Like uh, my wife, um, she's been going to this yoga class where it's almost like hit yoga, where it's like you're holding a yoga pose, but not for very long. And you're throwing them, throwing in a burpee or doing something else like that. And like, that's a little more up my alley because it's faster, but I don't even want to do that. So I think I just mm -hmm. need to, uh, to, to go do it. Yeah. And finding the right fit can take a while. It's sort of like, I don't know, finding the right therapist, to be honest, or yeah. dating or any other, you know, relational interaction where it takes a while to find the right fit. Yep. The first, actually the first few yoga classes that I did, which was like probably 10 years prior to grad school, mm -hmm. they were of no interest to me. And I was like, oh, I don't think yoga is worth it. Right. It actually took a friend of mine in grad school to convince me to try it again. Okay. Um, and I got lucky and found the right person. Well, I know the last time you were in town here, you you had me do some yoga with you. So that was, uh, I think that was the last time I did yoga. But <laughs> it's been a little while. That was uh, more than a year ago. Well, I'm not sure whether to say I'm sorry or you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no apology needed. I it was It was good. It was good. Okay, you could tell me off camera if it was actually good. No, I, I actually I really like conceptually. I like what yoga is, and there's um, I did P90X right this uh, this mm -hmm. video workout program with 
Tony Horton. I love that guy. He's hilarious. Even the 10th time you hear his same joke. Um, and he's a huge uh, advocate of yoga. And in his first program, P90X, there was one of the workouts was a yoga workout and it was 90 minutes long. And I tried mm -hmm. doing it so many times and I got so bored every time. Um, but then in the third version, in P90X3, it got it down to 30 minutes. And I've done that one a whole bunch of times. And that one's fine because you, you move through it a little bit mm -hmm. more swiftly. Um, it, and it gave me a profound appreciation for the, the muscles that go into maintaining static holds. But, yeah. but not any more than that, right? I never, I never got past, you know, this is what I can get out of yoga. You know, some, some flexibility and, and um, strengthening my stabilizers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think doing a 90 minute, I don't do 90 minute yoga yeah, videos. It's really long. Like it's, yeah, it's kind of like saying, well, for any other athletic event, especially for me now as a parent, like I'm just not going to do anything that's 90 yeah, minutes. Right. My workouts are 20 minutes now. <laughs> yeah. Mine are about, you know, at most 30 minutes. Like this morning I got 25 minutes. That was really good. Yeah. So take it. Yeah. Better than zero. So exactly. Exactly. So I think especially starting out, um, I think 90 minutes would be really off-putting starting out. Yeah. Even 10 minutes would be good. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for, for appreciating my, uh, my struggle with the original <laughs> P90X yoga. Sure, sure. So what else? So yoga, I mean, that was, that was kind of your gateway into, okay, there's, there's other ways to heal the mind. So how did you dig in from there and, and discover the, I guess, somatic experience and, and other techniques that come along with all of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can't even remember how I got introduced to somatic experiencing. I really can't remember. It might've just been, uh, reading about it actually. Sure. Yeah. So you know, my specialty is trauma mm -hmm. and trauma will show up often in the body before it shows up in a conscious way. So people will talk about like physical symptoms of being tired all the time. Yep. Um, you know, lack of appetite, excess of appetite, that kind of thing before they recognize, Oh gosh, I'm having a trauma reaction. So I knew that I had to do some more training around body-based interventions. And I actually had tried some somatic therapy myself. I don't, I'm a therapist who's like, if I haven't done it and I haven't tried it, I'm not going to recommend it. Okay. Good um, for you. Yeah. So yeah, I tried it and it was, it was very helpful in a very different way than talk therapy. And I'm, I'm not trying to diss talk therapy. Like I think there's a place for talk therapy and I do integrate it very much so, mm -hmm. but there's also, there also needs to be some flexible use of these strategies and tools. So yeah, I started, started integrating somatic work into my, um, my, my office, my practice. Um, and I'm just continuing. Um, and there's, like you said, it's, it's not like I know it all. I think I'm just very much at the beginning too, of this journey. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just starting to delve into the role of nutrition and mood. Um, and there's again, a huge amount of evidence around nutrition supporting like a healthy, well-balanced, diverse diet of mostly whole unprocessed foods helps with mood disorders. 
Yeah, I think there's, one there's of no the yeah. one of the most prominent ones that uh, I've seen acknowledged for that would be like Mediterranean. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and specifically, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, you probably know about it's, this it's more got it's got a, a a great variety of nutrients that covers a pretty broad spectrum, um, and it's everything from vitamins and minerals to your your macronutrients. But you know, digging in there, you're uh, making sure you have a wide range of your essential amino acids, um, and you have food sources coming from all these different places, right? From the land, from the ocean, um, from mm -hmm. plants, from animals, different different types of plants you know it's just it's an yeah. it's an incredible variety and let's be honest mediterranean is delicious <laughs> right yeah yeah and i i think it's important though for people to know like this isn't just a one pill kind of thing because a lot of folks people want that pill for a one pill fix yeah they want that pill yeah and coming back to your earlier point like that does make money. You know, you can sell a pill. It's harder to sell a Mediterranean diet because it's a lifestyle choice. Right. And, and yet the research shows that it's not just about one pill. Like it is actually about all of these different things working together, all of these different nutrients working together, almost like symbiotically mm -hmm. that helps improve mood and improves health. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. The, and it is truly symbiotic. I'm, a little sneak peek. So I'm building a, a wellness program, kind of a a self-directed wellness program that people can do. It's a 10-week protocol, and I'm gonna I'm hoping to release it in the next few months. It's amazing, and it started out. It's it's just it's a series of kind of small things that I had all of my private clients doing, just kind of in support of the goals they wanted to achieve, which generally were around weight loss or or getting fit, but as they started to go through my protocol evolved into, wow, I've, I'm having, I have more energy. How can, how can we keep doing that? Right. Wow. I'm sleeping better. How can we keep doing that? Wow. My, my blood work looks amazing. How did that happen? And, yeah. and so I've, I've refined and refined and refined that supporting protocol to the fitness and nutrition, right? This program I'm creating is not a fitness and nutrition program. It's a wellness program and it's got all these different things in it in support of general wellness. And as I was looking at what do they really do, like how how does um, going out in the sun uh, contribute to a person's wellness, right? It's it's something so simple. People know, okay, yeah, you know, okay, you live in in Pacific Northwest United States, you're probably at a higher risk of depression because there's no sun for nine months a year, but. Why does that happen? And, and do people that actually have access to the sun take really take advantage of that or or not? And how does it even work? And so as I've I've been looking into all of these sort of activities or mechanisms that I prescribe, I've been digging in on well, how do they work and what do they really impact? It's amazing how much there's crossover. All these different things contribute to better sleep or to better mental health. And yeah, it's I'm not advocating that we go back so to hate people days, but sometimes I look at this research and I'm like, make we didn't us really need the best versions of ourselves, of whatever you know, multi-million dollar study to fund that to discover that, like being in nature is good, or that regular movement and exercise is know, good, right? <laughs> or that eating healthy. Is hey, good. we live in a society where people need that now. 
I know. It's actually one of the one of the more sense. interesting ones. Yeah. It does. Yep. It does. That's the world we live in in uh, in the Western world. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I pres- uh, that I prescribe to my my clients, and that is a part of this program I'm creating, is um, cold therapy. So so cold water immersion, which mm-hmm. everybody hates. It is unpleasant. Have you? Do you take cold showers? I do not. Um, I also. I am breastfeeding right now, oh, which yeah, I yeah. hear is not a good idea to do that. No, my, my, my wife had a terrible experience getting in a cold pool while she was breastfeeding her last kid. So, yeah. That is why I do not. You, <laughs> it was, It's my recollection of what you told me about what happened to Kat. Ah, <laughs> like, uh, yes. No. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. But, so. but Omari, my husband, takes cold showers. Perfect. And, good. Um, it is actually helpful for his mood and his mental health. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one, and I... Just for fun, I pulled up some studies, right? Just because I love, I love supporting um, text to kind of tell me that one either that it's generally accepted that what I think is true is true, or that there are studies to support that it's true. And and I'm just I'm gonna reference a couple right now, if you don't mind, just on sure. uh, cold water therapy in particular. So there's an article in um, Psychology Today um, titled. Uh, a cold splash, hydrotherapy for depression and anxiety. Um, and I'm going to skip past some of it, but uh, part of the the article, so it's water therapy versus drug therapy for mood. Um, and it's talking about the study that they did with um, 237 patients with generalized anxiety disorder. Um, they assigned some of them to medication and some of them to hydrotherapy or, or cold water immersion therapy um and the anxiety scores showed an improvement in both groups with clearly superior results of the water therapy compared to the effect of the drug remission and sustained response rates were also significantly higher in the hydrotherapy group um also the water therapy was found to be safe and without side effects um go of course so that i think that i thought that was pretty neat because i feel like this is still kind of fringe but it's in it's a psychology today article and then there's also a uh, a pubmed um national library of medicine article that i pulled up on adapted cold shower as a potential treatment for depression and um essentially it's a hypothesis that depression may be caused by the convergence of two factors one a lifestyle that lacks certain physiological stressors that have been experienced by primates through millions of years of evolution, such as brief changes in body temperature, um, and that this lack of thermal exercise may cause inadequate functioning of the brain, and then two, genetic makeup that predisposes an individual to be affected by the above condition more seriously than other people. So um, the first one would impact everyone, and the second one just says that it may impact some people stronger than others. Um, To test the hypothesis and approach to treat to treating depression is proposed that consists of adapted cold showers um, once or twice daily. The proposed duration of treatment is several weeks to several months. And the following evidence appears to support the hypothesis. Exposure to cold is known to activate the sympathetic nervous system and increase the blood level of beta endorphin and noradrenaline and to increase synaptic release of noradrenaline in the brain as well. Um, additionally, due to the high density of cold receptors in the skin, a cold shower is expected to send an overwhelming amount of electrical impulses from peripheral nerve endings to the brain, 
which could result in antidepressive effects. Um, it does conclude saying that more studies are needed, so I will acknowledge that as well, but I, I just found that to be extremely interesting, that something as simple as putting your body in cold weather could have a, a, a real and measurable hormonal response. But it's not sellable. Right. Well, the, everything's an industry, right? So now there's the cold plunge industry. So that's, that's, that's what true. they're selling. And never mind, it is sellable. And I bought into it because I have a rather expensive cold plunge in the corner of my studio that I'm sitting in right now. And okay. next time I'll you come in to town and you're not you. breastfeeding, then I expect you and Omari to jump in there. I'll possibly maybe consider that. Yes. You remember uh, my, my friend Noy, who owns the Krav Maga studio? Mm-hmm. So yesterday he he was here. We recorded a podcast yesterday, and I got him in at the tail end, and he only made it twenty seconds. So the bar is pretty low to uh, okay to get in and stay in. Okay, I twenty can seconds. Guarantee you put a toe in. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really I terrible. Thought of that but, right now, it's like <sighs> yeah, it's it's awful. I mean, I, but at the yeah. same time, you know, one doing hard things, doing things you don't want to do. There's I could talk about that for an hour, just the, the effects of doing things that you don't want to do. And there's actual like studies on like brain growth, um, just in making yeah. yourself do things you don't want to do. But, but also, um, then there's the, the benefits of cold exposure itself. And then for me, while I'm in there and the only reason that I can stay in there for a fairly decent amount of time is because I do breath work while I'm in there and mm-hmm. you know, it's extremely calming. And, you know, I, I really, I get to a point where I just, I become a little concerned about how long it's going to take me to feel my toes. Once I get out, um, generally it's about an hour. Um, but, oh my goodness. but otherwise I could probably stay in there for a pretty long time. But at this point, my, my max is seven minutes. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, if I wasn't concerned about my toes, I think with the breath work, I could go for a pretty, pretty decent amount of time. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious. This is like me being really nerdy, but there's this thing called a dose response curve, which is like, you, you might know this already. Like you look at the dosage of something and you see how, like when, when there's a benefit and sometimes the dose response curve looks like, oh, you keep getting a benefit. You keep getting a benefit. And other times it's like, you get a benefit. And then the more you do it, it kind of plateaus. And other times it's like, oh, you get a benefit. And then you don't get a benefit. Right. Like that. So I'd be really curious as to. Yeah, they like say they say the dose response curve for cold therapy peaks between three and six minutes. Um, mm-hmm. You can still reap benefits up to fifteen minutes, but beyond fifteen minutes, that um, you kind of start to work against yourself. Um, mm-hmm. There are certain certain people that would disagree with that. That's that's the literature I've seen on that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I've done seven minutes. I generally do five to six. When I go in okay. at five in the morning, which is a horrible time to go into a cold plunge because your body's not warm, you're tired, it's just mm-hmm. awful. Um, but that's when I usually go in and I usually try to do about five minutes. Wow. Well, kudos to you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I stand, <laughs> I, I've, I've gotten past the point where I stand in front of the, the tub for you know three or four minutes just thinking about not doing it. I just get in now, mm-hmm. which is a little better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting that it's become a very popular fad or I don't know what to call it, popular trend now, because this is, again, something that's been around for a while. Um, yep. Like since, well, you probably, I don't know. My understanding has been around like since 3500 BC or something with the Romans and the Greeks and stuff. Yeah. And in, uh, in, be, in yeah. more recent times and, you know, 
maybe only a few hundred years ago, you know, in Scandinavia, right? That's uh, yeah, it's a big thing mm -hmm. in Scandinavia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like on the fringe to us as, you know, Westerners in 2024, but well, it's been around. So. Things like going in the sun and, and putting your feet in the grass have become fringe. <laughs> I know that's, that's really sad. <laughs> it is. But we're working to flip the switch, change the narrative. It's okay yeah, to that's just right. be, a, be a human being in a human body connecting with the, uh, the things around us. That's right. Yeah. It's like, let's come back to the basics, to what yeah. we already know intuitively. Yeah. So do you use uh, breath work at all in your, in your sessions? I do. Yeah, very okay. much so. And there's different types of breath work. Mm -hmm. So there's like, Breathwork isn't just awareness of one's breath, right? Which that can be that can help develop um, just mind general mindfulness and general okay. awareness, and kind of uh, it helps people to not be so attached to their own internal reactions and to be able to just see their internal reactions as a reaction versus themselves. Then there's breathwork also specifically to regulate. So if folks are getting activated, then I do my, one of my favorite things to do is something called straw breathing. Straw I call breathing. it straw breathing. Okay. Yeah. You, you coined I call that it straw one? Breathing. I probably stole it from someone. Okay. I don't remember. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but I tell people to imagine that they're just doing a normal inhale and then you're breathing out through a straw and it's not a boba tea straw. It's a little tiny soda straw. Okay. So it's like, inhale, and if you might notice, it extends the exhale by quite a lot. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And do you go until you're you're totally empty? Yeah, it's a normal. It's just a normal inhale and exhale. It's just okay. modifying the exhale. Hmm. So you're not trying to force it to be anything other than the normal amount of empty. And so what, um, what is the purpose of that? Is that just to, to put awareness on your breathing? Uh, it does have that effect. And, but also more importantly, uh, extending the exhale activates something called the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. So we have love the vagus nerve. Yeah. Vagus. We should okay. all love the vagus nerve. Yes. Uh, so it's a very calming, it's an immediate physiological, calming, relaxing sort of response mm -hmm. that, that say somebody is beginning to experience anxiety symptoms or panic symptoms or, you know, experiencing, starting to ramp up to more elevated distress. It's almost like a short circuit way to get the body to calm down. How does, how does breathing interact with the vagus nerve? I feel like I should know this, but I don't. Yeah. So it's the extending the breathing that activates mm -hmm. the vagus nerve. So it's the, the diaphragmatic breathing, if you will. Okay. There's yep. other things too that can stimulate the vagus nerve. So like humming, like mm -hmm. going, mm, I know that's why I hum to and, I hum to my baby when uh, when he's getting a little antsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So that stimulates the vagus nerve also. Can so you? It's a nerve that goes all the what, way. Okay, yeah, yeah. Explain yeah. explain it's what an, the vagus yeah. nerve is. Yeah, so it's a nerve that that it it parallels the spinal cord and goes into your um, diaphragm, your bowels, your it all goes kind of throughout your your body, but it's stimulated uh, by a certain physical. Okay. Yeah, that's that's okay. Yeah. That's 
physiologically that's where the breath work can uh, yeah. can mm-hmm. make the physical physical impact got it yeah exactly exactly um yeah so like talk in talk therapy again there's a place for talk therapy but oftentimes telling yourself no i don't need to panic it's not going to work right because it's the the panic is happening physiologically so we need a physiological intervention yeah i just um, i was in a situation yesterday afternoon with uh i was helping a friend just take care of some personal things and he's in a, a pretty bad situation um with his his family he's he's been taken away from his family and um we were anyway he we were just in a situation where he was going to see his children at a distance when he wasn't meant to and he hasn't seen them for a month and he was very very he was he was becoming very very upset about that like just like the trauma that he was about to experience and so i just made him yeah. breathe I just, I counted for him. I'm like, you're just going to, simplest thing, box breathing. I'm, I'm going to, we're yeah. going to count and you're going to breathe. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. He, he came through it without, without losing it, which was good, but kind of a yeah. ex- extreme example of, of when breath work can, can be helpful, but it, mm-hmm. it, it really is incredible how something as simple yeah. as controlled breathing can have um, a emotional or mental manifestation. And this is something we also got to teach our kids from an early age. Yeah, and you know, and you know, you hear that a lot, right? Just breathe, just breathe, take a deep breath. You hear, you, I've been hearing that my whole life. I never really knew what it was, and never actually took a deep breath. But, uh, but mm-hmm. you hear it. So at some point, people knew that this did something, and then it just kind of, right. it kind of just became something that you say when someone's upset, without yeah. thinking about whether or not that actually does anything. It's, it's kind of just like shut up and calm down, take a deep breath, but. Oh wait, it actually does something. Yeah, and hopefully it's said in a way of I want to hear you and <laughs> yes, hopefully. You <laughs> yeah. So what other um what other techniques do you use for this? Um so we've talked about breath work, we've talked about yoga, we've talked about the um somatic experiencing. Um, what other kind of things you do? I don't think we've talked about exercise specifically, like exercise more broadly as an intervention, which which (laughs) we should talk about. Yeah. Let's talk about exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I actually have started to go away from the word exercise to just physical activity because Mm -hmm. for some people, exercise is very intimidating. They imagine going to the gym and having to put on workout clothes, you know, there's a lot of mental barriers to it. Yep. So I've been using the word physical activity Okay. because, and also because for a lot of people, physical mobility is a challenge either physically, physiologically, or mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to mention exercise because I was just reading a study recently where they did an intervention looking at um, traditional therapy and as well as some leading medications as well as exercise for depression, anxiety, and just general distress. Mm-hmm. And this study, I think it was based in Australia, if I'm not, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, Crikey. showed that <laughs> that exercise was one and a half times more effective than any of these other interventions. Wow. So that's staggering. So, yeah. Yeah. I want to mention that. And, you know, before reading this study, I knew that there were some studies showing that it was just as effective. So this is the most recent study. 
Um, and that it's especially beneficial for certain diagnoses, like especially mm -hmm. beneficial for depression, especially beneficial for uh, pregnant and postpartum folks, um, and also certain physical conditions, physiological. Today's episode is brought to you by PowerPlate. Vibration therapy, usually delivered through platforms like PowerPlate, offers a wide range of potential benefits for physical health and well-being. I'm talking enhanced muscle strength, improved circulation and blood flow, increased flexibility and range of motion, faster recovery from soreness and injury, and one of the coolest benefits, which is leveraged even by astronauts, is enhanced bone density. How cool is that? For me personally, any workout I do while standing stationary is done on my PowerPlate vibration platform. PowerPlate uses something called triplanar vibration, which is superior to other vibration platforms. It's really interesting. When I stand on it, it almost feels like gravity increased, like I'm being pulled towards the ground, which puts a unique spin on doing your traditional bodyweight workout movements like squats and push-ups and really anything you can do while standing still. So pick up your PowerPlate at powerplate.com primal and use code PRIMAL for 20% off the PowerPlate vibration platform. Again, that's powerplate.com slash PRIMAL. Use code PRIMAL for 20% off. And I've actually, I've, I've, I've flipped the switch on myself for that, particularly since I started wearing this, uh, this step tracking ring and I, I pay attention to, pay a little bit more attention to my movement, um, you know, more as a point of interest than anything else because I do move enough. But, you know, I think about that. I'm, I'm, chasing the kids right i'm running back and forth down the hallway we're playing but i'm getting some exercise right i'm i'm dancing with the kids in the kitchen i'm running circles around the dining table just dancing with the kids hey i'm getting i'm getting my movement in you know i'm gonna take the take the the baby for a walk throw him in the stroller and walk down to the the coffee shop on the corner well you know we're going for a walk and i'm getting my coffee but i'm getting my movement and some sunshine and uh kind of acknowledging the the dual benefit that i get to just living certain enjoyable parts of my life and actually i'm glad you brought this up because i i did want to talk about this and i forgot and i actually i pulled up another article that i wanted to kind of share with you and this is also from the national library of medicine um what is this called let me see it's called the benefits of exercise for the clinically depressed and so in a section of the um the study under proposed mechanisms for the exercise depression relationship. So, you know, why, why, how does exercise um, impact depression? So there's a, there's a, it addresses a bunch of different hypotheses, which I thought was really interesting. So one is the thermogenic hypothesis, which suggests that a rise in core body temperature following exercise is responsible for a reduction in symptoms of depression. Um, uh, Increases in temperature of specific brain regions, such as the brain stem, can lead to an overall feeling of relaxation and reduction in muscular tension. Um, then there's the endorphin hypothesis, um, which predicts that exercise has a positive effect on depression due to an increased release of endorphins following exercise. Um, endorphins are related to a positive mood and an overall enhanced sense of well-being. Um, and then there's the, I don't know this word, monoamine, monoamine hypothesis. Um, yeah, uh, most it says this is the most promising of the proposed physiologic mechanisms. The hypothesis states that exercise leads to an increase in the availability of brain neurotransmitters such as serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine that are diminished with depression. These neurotransmitters increase in plasma and urine following exercise. So that's that's how they were able to measure that. Um, 
but whether exercise leads to an increase in neurotransmitters in the brain itself specifically remains unknown. So the study is incomplete, but that's a, it's a hypothesis. Um, and then there's a whole bunch more like distraction hypothesis. So you're distracted from being depressed while you exercise and self-efficacy hypothesis. You know, you you get a sense of accomplishment just from doing something that you said you're going to do that maybe you didn't want to do. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty lengthy article and there's a lot of statistics um, and references in it, but it's very interesting. The article is very interesting because it talks about all of these different hypotheses of why exercise impacts depression specifically. And one of the ones that's easiest for me to buy into is the hormonal response because you can actually measure that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You so do you, do you also then prescribe that. movement or do you just I ask do. people to pay more attention to their movement? No, I do actually prescribe. Prescribe. I'm not a prescribing sure person but recommend suggest physical movement yeah very much okay. so okay. And i do i do very much phrase it in terms of we can call it exercise but really anything that gets you moving mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't have to be all at once it could be in segments but really any any movement at all is better than no movement and that can be a little bit hard to do so i just want to acknowledge that Outside of physical mobility challenges, there's also like uh, more systemic challenges. So not living in a neighborhood that allows you to get outside or being yep. in a job that requires you to be sitting all day long, that kind of thing. Or even just the amount of time that people are uh, being asked to work. Those are barriers. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's the reality. And also I still try to work with my folks on how to integrate movement in some way throughout the day. Nice. Yeah, one of one of the aspects of the program I'm I'm putting together is uh, exercise snacks. So yeah, for people that don't want to, that either don't want to do a workout, don't have time to do a workout, or just want to incorporate move, more movement into their day in addition to their workout. You know, it's just taking one minute or three minutes, multiple times a day to to do something, to do yes. a few squats, or to just walk, or really anything. It, it's not very specifically prescribed because of exactly what you said. People have limitations that are unique to their bodies. People have unique uh, limitations based on, you know, what they're doing and where they are. But the, the, what I am advising them to do is just pick something that you can do and do that, you know, for this, this duration or this many reps, this many times a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. And it's a lot better Again, to start with something that's easy to succeed at. Yeah, absolutely. And it can impact physique. It can impact um energy it can impact general like just immunity right if you don't move your immune system is is not functioning optimally if you move it works a little bit better um mental health it, there's there's all these things that just moving can do it's oh yeah there's so many things that all these simple things can do that you know it, there's a there's a guy um uh human biologist named Gary Brecka and he has a, a, a phrase that he loves to use that he that he uh kind of coined which is um aging is the aggressive pursuit of comfort. So mm. we we live in a world where we do anything we can to not put that extra work in mm -hmm. and it is having a very very negative effect on us as individuals and as a society. You know, trying to get that close parking spot people will literally spend an extra 
five minutes circling a parking lot getting mad because they're not getting that close parking spot instead of just parking further away, maybe getting a little bit of movement, maybe some sunshine in while they walk from that further parking spot to the door of wherever they're going. Um, that's, a, that's a very simplistic example, but that, that type of attitude is prevalent, right? Try to have everything as close to us as possible so we don't have to move to, to do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's been kind of sold to us as this is what makes a good life. Yeah, these are, these are benefits, Just... not, uh, not detriments. Yeah. Or so they say. Yeah. So you go changing the narrative. Yep. Okay. Um, last question for you before we wrap. You are a new mom. So how how are you managing your own uh, mental health in uh, in new motherhood? Because that is no joke. Nope. Not at all. Uh, I definitely experienced postpartum anxiety and depression for sure. Um, I think I'm, I don't think I'm clinically, uh, uh, what's the word clinically diagnosable at this point. Although I think I have just mother general mother anxiety. Yeah. All parents become a little more anxious, I think. Um, yeah, it is. I think postpartum mental health is not talked about enough at all. Mm -hmm. Um, in our society. And I don't, I also don't think our society is set up to actually support parents, new parents, mental health. We yeah. are the only industrialized nation that does not have guaranteed parental leave. There are, I think I wrote this down. I actually looked into this recently. There are 17 countries who have a one year or nearly one year parental leave policy. Yeah. And these That's are incredible. countries to me, that yeah. sounds incredible, but I guess that I, I feel it, but maybe that should just be normal. It Well, it should be normal. And yeah. I also know from my training as a child and family psychologist that the first couple years of life, the first two years of life are the most important in terms of how kids are going to be for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. and how they relate to other people and how they see okay. the world. It affects something called attachment. Attachment is formed within the first two years of life. Some mm. people say first year and a half of life. Um, and yet we have, you know, for most of us, for many of us, we have to go back to work immediately or go back to work within a couple of weeks. Right. Um, so yeah, we don't talk about this enough. Um, at the same time, I, I personally am learning so much right. and appreciating so much, um, about being a parent as hard as it is. I, it is and really I actually, hard. yeah, it's really, really hard. And Most people say that it's hard, ever, but really hard. Yeah. People say it's hard and I knew that it was hard, but you know, knowing, knowing it from a felt sense is really different than just hearing about it. And it's hard in different ways. It's hard for me as the person who gave birth really hard physically, especially because I knew about exercise being good for mental health and was practicing what I preached. And then all of a sudden I couldn't exercise or my idea of exercise was just is walking around the block. Or sometimes I remember early on, it was like walking outside and like coming back in. And that mm-hmm. was my exercise. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, there's a lot, I think that we could do better about addressing um, parental mental health and not just for moms, like the rates of postpartum depression and mood disorders for dads in heterosexual couples is also 
I think higher than is needed, one in 10 or so. Oh, okay. For moms, it's the estimates are as high as one third experience some sort of postpartum mood disorder. Yeah, well, when I, I mean, hear besides, that, that's unacceptable. It, it is. But at the same time, I, I, and you're the expert here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like to a degree it's unavoidable because some component of that, I mean, there's, there's the whole coping with just the change to your lifestyle, right? And, and the drastic change to your lifestyle and being sleep deprived and all that. But then there's also like, there, there are true hormonal changes within a woman that, that would play into that. There are, so 80% of women experience the baby blues within the first couple of weeks. That's normal. But in terms of postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, postpartum psychosis, that's not the norm. And that varies by country by a lot. Oh, really? We actually, by country? I mean, Mm-hmm. And huh. by parental leave policy specifically, oh, okay. we know that we know that um, folks who have longer parental leave have sick, whether it's paid or unpaid, it's just parental leave. And mm-hmm. I obviously advocate for paid, but folks who have longer parental leave have significantly reduced postpartum depression and anxiety. Huh. So we already know that this is not something that we just take for granted. Yeah, but I think there's a narrative in Western in the United States certainly that you know, this is just something that happens, and I I really want to push back against that because it shouldn't be the norm, and we know also that depression impacts kids, so yeah. parents who are depressed raise kids who are well less well adjusted, hmm. and when a parent is not depressed and they can be attuned and they can be present, yeah, that, obviously that makes yeah. sense, but I, I I I kind of feel like that part of the equation is often overlooked. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. So yes, like I will, you know, keep working with my folks who are parents around mental health. And also I fantasize about the day when I don't have to do that because we have these policies in place that actually support the well-being of parents. Yeah. Yeah. And well. speaking of parenting, I am gonna have to get going because my little one is up. <laughs> you can hear. I have a app that tells me. Mari uh, got her, and um, she's up. Got it. As of six minutes ago. Mom is in demand. Yeah. All right. Well, Doctor Eileen, this actually we joked about before I hit record that uh, that that you always try to talk to me about serious things, and I always try to change the subject. But this has actually been a really nice conversation. So, so thank you for sharing your knowledge with me and with the listeners as well. And folks, if you want to find. Dr. Eileen, you can find her at drfullchange.com. And I will also link to that in the show notes. So Dr. Eileen, thank you for being here. It's been really nice chatting with you. My honor, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Andrew. All right. Have a good one. Okay. Bye for now. Bye.